I'm Kelly McEvers, and this is Embedded, an NPR podcast where we take a story from the news and go deep. And today, we're talking about this story. Tens of thousands of unaccompanied minors from Central America surge across a surge, the a surge of a, a surge of kids who are streaming in from Central America into Texas. Summer 2014, so-called surge of migrant stars. Kids and their parents from Central America coming to the U.S. by the tens of thousands. At the time, I, and I think everybody, wanted to know, why are so many people coming? And the reason we kept hearing was the gangs. Violent street gangs that control entire sections of countries like El Salvador and Guatemala, collecting protection money and killing people if they don't comply. And rumors were going around that if you fled this violence with your kid or sent your kid alone, there might be a better chance of getting into the U.S. I think most of us get how gangs can make life really hard. But how can a bunch of dudes with tattoos and baggy jeans terrorize an entire country? That I do not get. Yeah, it's about right up ahead. So I recently went to El Salvador to meet people who are still trying to leave that country and come to the U.S. And while I'm there reporting that story, I find out how gangs can terrorize a country. One day, gang members start setting city buses on fire, and then they start murdering bus drivers, one by one. This is the mother of one of those bus drivers. We're at his funeral in a cemetery on top of a hill in a small village outside the capital of El Salvador. His name was Mauricio Rondero, and he was killed while driving his bus at 5 o'clock in the morning. His relatives and some cemetery workers are shoveling dirt onto a mound. They've covered him in dirt, and now they're putting flowers into the dirt. Hammering the cross into the dirt. His mother is just crying. Oh, what is she saying? She said, like, uh, what hurts me the more is the way in which they have taken away my son. Mauricio Rendero was killed on a Monday morning. By Monday afternoon, San Salvador, the capital of what is already one of the most violent countries in the world, comes to an almost complete standstill. And that is when we start following this bus crisis, minute by minute. At this point, we have no idea why it started and no idea what's going to happen. It's our show today, 24 hours in El Salvador's gang war. And just a word here. There's a curse word in this episode, and we talk pretty explicitly about violent stuff. We'd like to say a quick thank you to one of our sponsors, Stamps.com. With Stamps.com, you can avoid time-consuming trips to the post office. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package right from your computer. 500,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com. Right now, sign up for Stamps.com for a special offer. A four-week trial plus postage in a digital scale. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone, and type in Embedded.
Okay. Yeah. It's 3 p.m. on Monday. A oh, first Saturday. Hi, I'm Jasmine Garst. So today is a pretty serious day in terms of El Salvadoran politics and the situation with the gangs. Basically, the gangs are flexing their muscle. Jasmine is working with me on this story. She grew up in Argentina, and she's been reporting in Latin America for years. And right now, she's telling me what the gangs are doing. They have released a communique saying nobody goes on public transportation today. And it's really affecting the country. The country is at a standstill. And what they're doing is any public transportation driver that dares to go out and work today is a target. And there's already been multiple killings, including one bus just got machine gunned down. The other reporter I'm working with is Incarni Pindado. She's a photographer from Spain, lives in Mexico City. Just tell us how many attacks have there been so far today on public transportation? Um, there's been uh, three confirmations, and now they're starting to tweet about a possible fourth. Where are we going now? We're going to the uh, center of town uh, in front of the National Palace, where apparently the army is arranging uh, transportation for people to go back to their homes. So I'm in the car with Jasmine and Incarni. And driving the car, you can hear him in the background a little bit, is our guide in San Salvador. We've agreed not to use his real name. And let me just say, we don't normally do this, but we're actually going to use a fake name. We're going to call him Roberto. Because if he says something that the gangs don't like and they know it's him, they could kill him. Roberto is a journalist. He knows every local reporter, every street in the city. He knows what's true and what's rumor. And he wants us to tell you what's going on in his country. It's just that he can't be the one to tell it. Up until now, at least, he says he hasn't thought about leaving El Salvador. So the routes that go from north to south of the city, they've paralyzed them. We head to downtown San Salvador. By the time we get there, it's a few hours into the bus crisis. Local news reports are saying four bus drivers have already been killed. Some bus lines have stopped running. People at work are freaking out about how they're going to get home. So the army has brought a bunch of its own buses to the main square to take people home. So there's a bunch of buses down here. There's buses that look like school buses and a big formation of uh, army dudes with M16s. They all their, a lot of them have their faces covered with balaclavas. The government clearly has to show it can still help people. Jasmine and I see a bunch of people getting on the buses, and they look scared. Like, they just want to get home or go to work if they have a night job. I, this gives me such a bad feeling, these buses. Yeah, I'm not sure I would get on one. I mean, they'd probably be targets too, you know? So yeah, now they're just writing the names on each bus, like where, which neighborhood it's going to go to, basically. This is going to take two or three agents on it, like heavily armed. That's Roberto talking to Jasmine. He says you have to get on. I mean, people have to work. Roberto gets a message on his phone. Another driver just got murdered. That's a fifth bus driver who's just been killed, presumably by the gangs. Yeah, he says, I'm telling you, it's going to get bloodier. Tonight... The local reporter starts scrambling. I go tell Incarni, who's taking pictures. There's another driver that's been killed. Just now, yes. Yeah. Shall we? Yeah, I think so. Get 
back in the car. And it is now 4.20. We drive to where the local reporters say the fifth bus driver was killed. But there's no bus, no sign of any accident, no police, no reporters. Roberto doesn't like the way it feels. He says we should leave. So he's saying that this area is, like my grandmother used to say, this area is to make an errand and not rest. So in and out. Roberto says a few months ago, the gangs put out a fake report that someone had been killed and then ambushed the police when they got there. And he thinks that could happen again. So we're back in the car and the news keeps coming. Schools and businesses are closing down for the day. One college is suspending its school day because of the threats. More killings are being reported. Another dead. Right now, yeah. And then the roads just start piling up with cars. So now it's rush hour. People are trying to get home with this bus strike. It's crazy. Eventually, Roberto says he has to go. The gangs have imposed a curfew in his neighborhood, and he wants to get there before it starts. So he puts us in touch with a guy who is willing to take us around at night in case there's another killing. We'll hear what happens at night after this break. HubSpot supports Embedded because they love great stories. That's all. HubSpot wants to get back to the episode early, too. So that's what we'll do. Two hours after Roberto drops us off, and Carney and Jasmine come to get me. It's happened again, they say. This one is confirmed. We call Roberto's guy and get in his car. His name is William. That's his real name, but we can only say his first name. He uses a handheld radio to talk to other reporters, just like Roberto. We start heading to the neighborhood where the bus driver was killed. The streets are really quiet. So driving around now is a lot different than before. I mean, the streets are just totally empty. I mean, there's a few people, but not very many people out in the streets now, and it's only 8.30. Normally in El Salvador, gangs are just part of life. They control most of the territory in the country. If you live in one gang's territory, you can't cross into another gang's territory. Also, if you have a business in their territory, you have to pay renta or rent. It's like protection money. And if you can't pay, your teenage son has to go work for them, your daughter has to marry one of them, or they kill you. But this bus driver thing, this is something different. People are really starting to freak out. Nobody knows why it's happening. Nobody knows how it's going to end. So we're driving to the place where this bus driver was killed. And then, kind of out of nowhere, there's this car in front of us going really slow. The windows are down, and the arms hanging out of the windows are covered in gang tattoos. William, who's driving, does not like it. He doesn't trust the people up front. Yeah, they're driving weird. They're driving slow and weird. Change the street. So we just change the street, sticking away from that car. We eventually get to the neighborhood where the killing happened. It's up these really narrow, winding, one-way streets at the top of a hill. Okay, we're out of the cab. 
William parks the taxi, locks it, and comes with us. Okay, so there's some press trucks, several police, um, one sort of directing traffic, letting people walk through if they need to get home. Other people just kind of standing around. Everybody's just kind of staring at everybody else, it's like, who are you? There's one street light up above, but otherwise the neighborhood's pretty dark. There's a single strip of police tape with a row of TV cameras on tripods and about a dozen local reporters. We walk up to the police tape. We can't go past it. And ahead of us, in the dark, is where the killing happened. Oh, is that the bus? Yeah. Oh, man. There's a bus that's, like, pulled up way onto the median. And it's, like, run into a tree. And there's just, like, broken glass everywhere. So the driver of this bus was killed. I don't know if he's still there or not. The driver's still in there. Oh, boy. This is the sixth murder of a bus driver today. They're saying, like, bring coffee and bread because it's going to be a long night. We start chatting up the local reporters. They're used to this. For the past two years, they tell us the government has been cracking down on the gangs leading raids of known gang havens, locking up gang leaders in maximum security prisons. But most people here say it hasn't been working. And with these bus killings, the local reporters tell us, the gangs are trying to show that they're the ones in control. One of the reporters tells us what the police say happened in this killing. The driver was driving in, and several guy, armed guys came in and shot him, and he lost control. And drove into the trees. Yeah. Yeah. Up till now, the police had been just guarding the crime scene. Now, some investigators are going in. You can see lights inside the bus. The lights of their flashlights. So, the journalists there just explained a little bit of context to me. Um, that before the top like leaders of these organizations, letters and numbers, they were in a common prison with everyone else. Let me explain what she means by letters and numbers code for the gangs. The two big gangs in El Salvador are Mara Salvatrucha, or MS, that's letters, and Barrio 18, that's numbers. The reporters say that up until recently, gang leaders were kept in a common prison with everyone else where they could recruit new members and give orders to the outside. And now the government has placed them in a maximum security facility. (laughs) And she thinks that's why this is happening. They want to be back in with the general population. Now, this is just a theory, but it is something that we're hearing from most of the reporters. By this point, we've been sitting there for about an hour. The cops are still inside the bus. All the reporters are sort of just watching what's going on. Here come the coffees. They're in plastic bags. Then you put a straw in there. One of the guys says these coffees are strong, and another one passes out the snacks. Cheetos. So the police just pulled the guy's arm out of the window. The dead bus driver's arm. Had a light on it for a second. The arm goes back in. The reporters don't really notice. They keep eating Cheetos and drinking coffee. (laughs) We sit down on the curb. Some of the people who've come out of their houses to watch the cops start going home. The investigators finish what they're doing in the bus. And then the police say they want to talk to all the reporters about a block away. But because the street is totally blocked off by police tape that's surrounding the crashed bus, 
To get where they're going to be, we have to go around the long way. My leg is bumping against my mic, making this weird noise as we go. And now the entire press corps is walking down this random train track through a slum. On one side of us are these really crude shacks made out of plywood. People in tank tops and shorts are sitting outside, staring at us. Our driver's putting his backpack out so the stray dogs don't attack me, which is very nice of him. Yeah, well, these are like serious slums along this train track. It's literally like ill-advised, but we're all together. All right, we're back out on the street now. Back on the street, now a block away from where we were before, we wait for the police press conference. So everybody's gathered around the police tape. And an officer comes up to talk. He'll only tell us his last name, Lopez. Like all the other cops, he has his face covered. And the camera guys won't even point at his face. They'll point at his boots or something else. Which means when you turn on the TV, you might hear the cops' voices, but all you see is this tight shot of like a badge or something. Even the cops are that scared to identify themselves, talking about the gangs. Here goes Officer Lopez. So they attacked the bus line right before it was about to turn into the terminal, and there were still passengers in it. So they're casting a net in various areas, and... He can't tell you what areas. We don't know why this happened, but we can tell you that there's a pattern. You two have seen this pattern. That was the press conference. So not much information about why these bus attacks are happening and not much information about what the government is doing about it. The local reporters are not surprised. They just roll their eyes and try to figure out how soon it will be until the next killing. We walk back to where we started, the way we came. Back on the dodgy railroad track. Telling us to be quiet. This time, I'm actually kind of scared. I realize if a bus driver could be killed like this, so could we. And even though I'm with this group of reporters who act like they know what they're doing, I don't think any of us would know what to do if someone just started shooting. Okay, we made it. Back on the other side. And immediately the cops and local reporters start to leave. We know we have to go too. Once everybody starts to leave, that's when it gets a little weird. We get into William's car and start heading back to the hotel. And by this point, the streets are totally dead. Nobody is out. So here's what we know. We know these killings are a pattern. The gangs are going after bus drivers on busy routes. We know how scary it normally is to live in the city, and that now people are really panicked. And we know that the people who've decided to stay in this country and cover this story every day laugh about it, maybe because they're scared too. What we don't know is what's going to happen next. All right. It is 10.40 p.m., and we are back at the hotel. We pay our driver, William, and tell him we'll call him if anything else happens. All right, so it's 6.05 a.m. We slept through the night. 
We've hooked back up with our original guy. And we're going to go around now and see what's happening in the city. We're back with Roberto again. He says he didn't get much sleep last night. We want to ask him if this bus crisis has made him change his mind about staying in El Salvador. But he just wants to jump right back into work. He says today, not very many buses are operating and people are scrambling to try to figure out how they're going to get places. Which, he says, means the gangs are basically getting their way. And where are we going now? What's the first thing? El Salvador del Mundo. We're going to uh, El Salvador del Mundo, which is like a really big bus terminal. Like the main bus terminal in the city that people use to get to work. So they're basically listing all the routes that are just, that are not working. Yeah. Okay. We are outside. This is like a big bus stop area. But there are no buses running. None. This is a place where hundreds of buses would normally be running. So there's like pickup trucks pulling up, and then people are just piling into the back of these pickup trucks. Like a lot of people. Wow. There goes one. Oh my God, so many people. The, the back of that truck is just dragging. At least 25 people on that one. This one's got 50 people on it. Squeezed on, barely hanging on. Jasmine talks to a guy who works as a mechanic. He works in a motor company in the stadium, and he said, "We're we're fucked, and we're tired of this situation. We need something to something's got to give." And then his pickup truck pulls away. They just keep piling on truck after truck after truck. Every pickup truck that pulls up fills up with people. We watch hundreds of people do this. And Carney, our photographer, wants to take more pictures. So Jasmine and I get into the car with Roberto. Hi. We've been wanting to ask him about the bus killings and how they're affecting him. And also, we want to know why he's still working with us when things are this bad. He reminds us that we can't use his name, but he says he's okay to talk on tape. So I, it does affect me, though, to see so many drivers and so many people forced to, to bow down to these demands, but by way of blood. We ask Roberto if the gangs have ever targeted anyone he knows. And he tells us this story about a friend of his daughter. A girl who's 13 years old. The mother lived in a neighborhood that was controlled by a gang. At one point, the gang said the mother had to do work for them. They said if the mother didn't do it, they would kill her daughter. So the mother started working for the gang, or collaborating, as Roberto tells it. And then one day, a gang member really liked the 13-year-old daughter. The gang member told her, I want your daughter as a girlfriend. And the lady said no. She said, I'll collaborate you, whatever you want, but don't touch my daughter. So the gang member insisted and said, if you do not collaborate, I'm going to kill you and the girl's grandmother. So the girl was forced to marry the gang member. Now she's 15. She's about to have her second child. They ruined her life before she was 18. 
Now she has two kids. Es esposa de un pandillero. She's the wife of a gangbanger. Que la golpea. He beats her. A ella, a sus hijos. He beats their children. La obliga a consumir droga. He forces her to take drugs. O sea, que es una niña que se metió en un mundo oscuro sin merecerlo y sin pedirlo. She was got involved in a dark, dark world without asking for it and without deserving it. Es, es, es muy difícil. It's y very difficult. Ella, hay muchas, muchas. And like her, there are so many. I want to ask him like how he deals with it. Yeah, please. Um, ¿cómo haces vos para no I'm a very spiritual person, honestly. Desde hace cinco años. For the past five years, he starts, but he can't finish. He's crying. And kind of hitting the steering wheel to make himself stop crying. For the past five years, he finally says, I've been part of a Catholic community, and we meet every week. This practice has filled my heart, he says, with faith, hope, and the belief that even though I work on the streets, God is with me. There's no one else I can trust. We live in an area full of gangs, he says. We don't mess with them. They don't mess with us. Honestly, it's the only way I can carry on. It's hard living surrounded by so much violence. Llegar una noche a mi casa y decirle a mi hija, y me pregunta a mi hija, papá, ¿cómo te fue? And to get home at night and for my daughter to be like, Dad, how did your day go? Porque estoy de regreso, no me pasó nada. And to have to say, I had a good day because I got back home. And nothing happened to me. And have to hide from my daughter. When she says, so tell me what you saw. And to have to say... I saw five dead bodies today. Can't tell her. And so I lie to her. And I say we went to the beautiful beach and we saw a beautiful mountain. Even though she sees the television. I don't... I don't like her absorbing all this. My daughter is everything. And that's why I work so hard for her to never lack anything. Let's stop. By the time we're done talking, it's about nine in the morning. Back in the car, driving around the city, we see tanks out in the streets. We see cops busting guys with tattoos. We start to get more information about the bus killings from the radio and from our friends in the local press corps. It seems like the more we figure out what's going on, the more the situation deteriorates. Okay. It is 11.25. We've had breakfast. We had to check out of our hotel. We're checking into a new hotel. There was a press conference, and um, the government officials said that 44 routes out of more than 1,300 bus routes in the country have been stopped. Um, they named which gang it was, the 18 gang, and they said, you know, they're transporting the leaders from that gang to a maximum security prison so they can't communicate with people. 
So instead of meeting the gang's demands to keep them in the regular prisons, authorities are putting more of them into maximum security prisons. Roberto says this is only going to make things worse. It's around this time that people start talking about a coup, that the bus killings could make the country so unstable, people will blame it on the government and support the opposition party to come in and take over power by force. This might sound crazy to us, but El Salvador is a place where there was a long civil war in the 80s and 90s. Back then, left-wing guerrillas fought the right-wing government. Now the left wing is in power. People are saying one of the gangs could be working with the right wing to get back in power. One of our friends in El Salvador, an immigration researcher named Natalia, calls Incarni to ask if we're staying for the coup. She's kind of joking, but she's kind of not. (laughs) By now, Roberto has stopped laughing and is pretty worried. He definitely thinks there's going to be a coup. I don't think there's going to be a coup, but what do I know? We do some more reporting. By now, we're up to eight bus drivers and one transit worker killed. We go to our new hotel where there's good internet. We set up shop at a table by a pool where the water has turned green. Some middle-class Salvadorans are there drinking beer. And pretty soon, we start hearing that the president of El Salvador is going to give a live address to the country. One of those moments where the leader sits at his desk and basically tells people everything's going to be okay. This is it, Roberto says. This is when we're going to find out what's happening. And Roberto and other people in El Salvador don't just want answers about these bus killings. El Salvador recently has set records for homicides, dozens of murders every day, tens of thousands of people trying to leave and go to the U.S. And now people are wondering, does the government have a plan to stop the bus killings and make the country safe? In the past, presidents have negotiated truces with the gangs in El Salvador, and it's worked. Reduced violence by almost half. So President Salvador Sanchez Seren appears on TV. He says they caught the mastermind behind the bus killings. He says, no, the government will not negotiate with the gangs. He says El Salvador is going to crack down on gang violence even more. But as he's talking... We realize something's off about the speech. It's edited really weird. Like, in the middle of his speaking, there'll be like an edit. It's not live. It was taped. And local news starts reporting the president has left the country and gone to Cuba. If you live in El Salvador, this can make you think the worst. Maybe there is going to be a coup. Roberto gets up, hugs us, and says he has to get home and start making plans. If there is a coup, he and his family have to figure out how to hunker down and stay safe. But there is not a coup. So we get our stuff ready and leave. And Roberto tells us he's going to stay in El Salvador for now. Some of us, he says, have to believe in this country.
This story was reported by me, Jasmine Garst, and Incarni Pindado. You can see Incarni's photographs at npr.org. The episode was produced by Chris Benderev and Brett Bachman and edited by Sean Cole and Steve Drummond with help from Vicki Valentine, Lulu Miller, and Jordana Hochman. We got production help from Matt Bloom and Travis Larchuk, digital production by Alexander McCall, research help from Katie Doggart. Original music in this podcast is by Colin Wamsgans. The show is executive produced by me, Chris Turpin, and Anya Grundman. Our project manager is Kasia Podbilski. If you want to learn more about how we report embedded stories, check out the On Point with Tom Ashbrook podcast. They're at onpointradio.org. You can hear more stories by me and the rest of NPR on your local public radio station on another show I host called All Things Considered. We'll be back next week when we'll be talking about policing on L.A.'s Skid Row after cops shoot and kill an unarmed black man. You put these handcuffs on me all you want. What you want to do, beat me too? You want to shoot? You want to shoot? You want to shoot me? If we just go out and then we just pounding everybody every second of the day, then we're not really doing our job. If you haven't done it yet, subscribe to this podcast and please leave a review in iTunes. Trust me, it matters. Also, check out the NPR One app for your phone. All this month, you can hear episodes of Pop Culture Happy Hour a day early, exclusively in NPR One. Find Pop Culture Happy Hour stories from your local station and get more great podcasts on the NPR One app. It's in your app store now. I am Kelly McEvers. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.